Welcome to Hunt with Bruce, the third episode, third time the charm of the podcast. We bring you on, in on Halloween, which is why obviously we have to have the Ghostbusters theme song because I don't know what else you would have on Halloween. Am I right, Ryan? Yeah, uh, the Ghostbusters theme song seems to fit, and uh, I'm not sure we received any other suggestions from anybody else up to this point on an intro song, but even if we did, at least for the Halloween edition, we would have stuck with the Ghostbusters theme song regardless. Yeah, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have taken their suggestions for this week, but uh, <laughs> we didn't hear a peep anyways from anyone, and it's all right, though, because Ghostbusting makes you feel good. It's Halloween night. We passed out candy. Maybe we had some fall beverages, and now we're ready to get into the third episode. But week 10, which, again, it absolutely bonkers. Craziness. Yeah, week 10 was, uh, I'm sorry, week 9 it was. Week oh, 9 yeah, was sorry, we're heading into week 10. We're heading into week 10. Week 10 has actually already started. We had some action games last night. We have a action game going on right now between Toledo and Ball State. So week 10 is slated for a huge weekend of ranked versus ranked matchups but week nine gave us plenty to watch from noon until midnight and beyond and before we move any further i also want to make mention uh and give a and wish a very happy birthday to alabama head coach nick saban on halloween he was born in 1951 he's sort of the michael myers freddy krueger jason boogeyman all rolled into one haunting the dreams of college football coaches and teams year in and year out and I think it's only fair that we celebrate his birthday on Halloween, considering he sold his soul to the devil in order to be the greatest college football coach in history. Yeah, and what actually, you? You, yeah, you you surprised me uh, again with another stat being Saban's birthday. I it's amazing I had no clue it was his birthday today, but now it all makes sense. And to tell you why I got a little ahead of myself here, calling it Week Ten in the books, is I was so excited about Week Ten, based on what you just said. You've got Maction. On Tuesday and Wednesday, the college football week goes from three days to five days. And right now, no volume, but screen in the background. I've got a picture in picture with Halloween, Michael Myers, and the Toledo Ball State game. So I've got the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. I'm a horror flick fanatic, football fanatic. It's perfect. And then we lead into, like you said, ranked team upon ranked team upon... Let's figure out the CFP. We got the CFP rankings yesterday. I mean, does it get any better than this week? I don't think it does. No, and just to have Halloween on this week, falling right in the middle of the week to carry us through uh, the remainder of, of Thursday and Friday, which we also have college football action on those days as well. Like you said, it's it's not just a two- or three-day affair anymore. It's all five days of the week. And if you throw in the NFL, I think we have football in some format every single day from now through Thanksgiving weekend. What a time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, there's an excuse to crack a Miller Lite, Bud Light, whoever wants, uh, you know, to uh, advertise on our podcast here. But it's a good time to crack one of those, maybe a Coors Light, if they want to come in from out in Colorado. Maybe a Keystone, Uh, maybe a Bush Light, maybe a Steel Reserve. We will not discriminate against any advertisers. Yeah, the the Beast, the Red Dog, it doesn't matter. (laughs) $10.30 packs, we'll take it. But I think before, we, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, and again, it's it's the same problem we have every week, which is how do we cram all the fun stuff to talk about into, say, 45 minutes, our tops. And I think we want to start out with, though, some recap, some highlights 
from last week because there were some awesome, amazing plays that changed the landscape and ultimately set up what we saw on Tuesday with the CFP. So I'm going to break in right now with the SEC matchup that we saw that almost made this matchup between Georgia and Kentucky this Saturday. Not as important. Wilson will throw. End zone. Touchdown. C.J. Conrad. Let's go. They're throwing on second. Montez throwing a deep ball to Katie Nixon. With 18 seconds exactly, to go. Though. That's the downside of that. Here we go. Play action pass. Larusa guns it. It's tipped, intercepted in the end zone. And here comes MTSU. This is Blankenship. Blankenship across the 30 yard line, still on his feet, has some room, and he's going to go. Reed Blankenship turns a monarch touchdown all the way around 180 degrees. Touchdown, Middle Tennessee. Some of those teams in the top three. On second and six, Fitzgerald gets the first down. Might get the touchdown. Redemption, resurrection. Nick Fitzgerald has come alive tonight. They wanted a bench last week. He wins the game, maybe, for the Dogs. 76 yards. Here's Pickett. He's completed three passes in the drive. He'll fire one to the end zone. French is there. Let's say a week ago. Well, he takes off here on cue. Trace McSorley runs just fine down the sideline for the touchdown. Might be over for the Stars. Here's Brooks first down. Hits the sideline. Kennedy Brooks, the red shirt freshman from Manfield, Texas, cuts it inside. Touchdown, Sooners. 86 yards. First and goal, Bentley gets pressured, and all along, Tebow got it! Touchdown, South Carolina! A one-hand snag by Tebow! It's a keeper. Cornelius leaps, dives, touchdown! Wow! They use all the clock again, DeAndre Swift, and he's got the first down, and he's got a bunch more! DeAndre Swift to the house, touchdown! Deal with adversity well today on the reverse. Miller still on his feet. The freshman ready to go. Touchdown. Well, I know that was the longest I've ever kept my mouth shut in my entire life, and it was painful the whole way. But I had to end with the Michigan State touchdown by freshman Jalen Naylor on the little reverse uh, field play for 50, 60 yards to ice it over Purdue. You still there, Ryan? I'm still here. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't expect anything less from you. Uh, you certainly have reasoning to to highlight that clip and obviously be proud of a, a big victory for Michigan State after they looked pretty much dead in the water after the Michigan game. They came out strong against Purdue, who at the time we talked about it last week, maybe even ad nauseum, but we, we said last week that Purdue was in a prime position to battle it out for the Big Ten West. But 
Michigan State, they had other plans, and I think they're looking strong heading into the final stretch of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to get back to those clips real quick, you know, the reason it was hard to stop at any point is because there were so many big plays over the weekend. I mean, it was obnoxious how many games came down to maybe not the last play, but there were key plays in the fourth quarter that changed changed the way the game ended or changed the outcome. And, and uh, you know, one of the biggest ones you heard there was that Nick's, Nick Fitzgerald run uh, for Mississippi State over Tamu that mm-hmm. put the game away. And that one kind of bugged me because I had Tamu winning that game as an upset pick. But uh, with Michigan State out, you know, that I'll leave that alone. I'll talk about the green for a second. Mm-hmm. Big win, obviously. You bring in Lombardi. He's got the name, but does he got the game? That's the question, right? And he brought both on Saturday against Purdue. The guy, I've never seen somebody throw so many spirals. I did, did you catch any of the game? I did. For a while there, it was a snoozer, almost nap-inducing, especially in the first <laughs> half. But Lombardi did what he needed to do and more. Uh, I think Michigan State fans have a lot to be uh, excited for moving on the rest of the season. Whether Lewerke does come back from injury or does D'Antonio ride the hot hand and stick with Lombardi the rest of the way, I think they have two solid options to be under center. And Lombardi proved that he can certainly compete with uh, with top-level defenses in the conference. I know, I know that Purdue has had some struggles early on in the season, but they shut down Ohio State a week before. They had a huge statement victory against the Buckeyes in Purdue the week before the Michigan State game. So they came into East Lansing riding high, thinking that, okay, we have this one in the bag. It's Michigan State. They just lost a, a huge game where they gained less than 100 yards of total offense. And at the end of the day, it was Rocky Lombardi that was the story of the day. But I think the, the bigger story for me, at least, looking on the other sideline, was the regression of Purdue quarterback David Blau. The week prior against Ohio State, he had 378 passing yards, three touchdowns against Michigan State, 277 yards through the air, three picks, no touchdowns. So it was a huge difference or discrepancy in his level of play from week to week. And I think that ultimately sealed Purdue's fate in East Lansing. Yeah, I I agree with you on all fronts. Um, the, The game itself was definitely boring in the first half. Uh, I, I think most Michigan State games this year are going to be a lot of defense, uh, a good amount of field goals, and maybe some late heroics as, as we've seen both in Purdue and Penn State because the reality is with so many guys down, there's not a lot that we can do on offense, and our defense is really good. So mm-hmm. you're not going to see a lot of points from the opposing team. And speaking to Purdue's offense, that was the third straight week coming into East Lansing that they'd put 40 plus up on the board, which is a record for Purdue going Mm -hmm. back to guess who drew Brees. Mm -hmm. So this has been, you know, they've been clicking the Purdue offense. They have been firing on all cylinders recently. And they even, even with the offensive struggles they had for the first three and a half, two and a half, three quarters last week, late in the game, they had plenty of opportunities to either tie or take the lead. Uh, their last four drives after going down 16 to 13 with 35 seconds left in the third quarter. Turnover on downs at Michigan State's 42. Interception at Michigan State's 28. A 41-yard field goal that was missed. Uh, Michigan State then scores a touchdown to go up 23 to 13. And then Purdue throws an interception at their own 30 uh, with little time remaining. And that that sort of sealed uh, the, the victory for Michigan State. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, that interception, 
that they had, not the final one to ice it, but the one, uh, well, Purdue was driving, getting ready to score. That lick that was put on the tight end, he dropped the ball basically in his crotch and it got (laughs) scooped up. That that hit was ridiculous, and I, I commend the refs. I applaud them for not throwing a flag for targeting because the first thing you do these days when you see a guy that goes down, he looks concussed, he drops the ball, he does the, you know, the arms and legs both go straight like he just got shocked in Home Alone or something. You throw the flag because you're like, oh, he must have been helmet to helmet, must have knocked him out, blah, blah, blah. It was a great hit. Great Great hit. hit. Good defense. Awesome turnover at a spectacular time. Uh, Very fortuitous time for Michigan State as you, as you mentioned, Purdue is driving, looking to either tie it with a field goal or possibly take the lead in the fourth quarter. But once again, Michigan State's defense comes up big. And it wasn't necessarily just the defensive line. Obviously, with the team forcing three interceptions, the secondary once again came to play. And I think this is the third straight week where the secondary has shown signs of improvement and progress. And going up against teams later on down the road, like Ohio State, uh, like Nebraska, where you're going to be tested down the field, that certainly is uh, has to boost some confidence for Spartan fans. Yeah, you bet. And uh, two more things before we kind of close this out. Not as big of a game. We don't need to spend a bunch of time on this like we did with Michigan. Mm-hmm. But one, there was officially no issue with the field walk this week. No Purdue players were on the field trying to mess up the walk. Everything went as planned. So now I think we are 82 out of 83 or 81 out of 82 successful field walks at this Congratulations. point. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. We're very excited about that here in East Lansing. The other thing I wanted to tell you, though, and I've seen some articles about this, is, you know, Lewerke, Lombardi, who's going to play QB controversy? D'Antonio came out and made the comment that, hey, if this is a problem, to me it's actually not a problem or it's a good problem to have. Let me play a clip for you. This is the locker room after the game, and you tell me if this sounds like people that are nervous about who's going to be the QB. So I almost just jumped up, and, and what I did, I looked for somebody to chest bump, but nobody's awake in my house. So I just had to sit here and wait for the clip to end. But obviously, I there's was bobbing my head a little bit too. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, they're gonna build a statue for him at the top of the steps of Rick, so that when you run out of that bar after at about two a.m. on a Saturday night, <laughs> pumping your fists in the air, you're doing it right by the Rocky statue. You mean when you stumble out, puking, trying to get to the top of the stairs? That'll be the feat. You've completed the run up the Rick stairs, so right. you get to touch the Rocky statue. That's right. Well, you know, he might he might be the guy going forward. You don't know. There's uh, shoulder injuries. Um, you know, I think we talked about this last week, so we won't get into it too much. But Lewerke never threw a pass in practice the whole week leading up to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes you question, D'Antonio, why didn't Lombardi start? Normally coaches say, okay, first string's out, second string. Guess what? You're going to start, and if things get crazy – then we'll try to bring in that first string guy if he's able to play. Mm-hmm. Antonio kind of did it the other way, and I, I don't know that I agree with that uh, 100%. But mm-hmm. in hindsight, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe you know Michigan 
gets more sacks, more fumbles, more picks, and it's uglier than it was at 21 to 7. Yep. My biggest takeaway from the game before we move on to the next topic here is once again, Daddy Vegas gets the rest of us. I, the only thing I could think of or that would be the equivalent is that Geico commercial with the old man in the fishing pole dangling the dollar bill in front of the uh, customer in the shoe in the shoe store saying, oh, here you want to get that dollar? Yeah, well, Vegas dangled a one and a half point spread at us with Michigan State as the home favorite. I didn't take it. I know very few people took it, but the desert is right. They build huge casinos for a reason out there in Las Vegas, and I bite the dust. Yeah, again, and by the way, that, that commercial is hilarious. Yes. I, I love that commercial. Um, what we want to move into next, and which is kind of why we started with Michigan State-Purdue, is the Big Ten divisional talk. And the one thing I'll say on the East, and then we can jump to the West, because the West is the wild, wild West, Will Smith style. But the East... Michigan State fans, I got to tell you, if you're not wearing a Penn State jersey this weekend, it's probably because you don't have one. But find a friend that has one. Go buy one. You know, grab a white shirt and put duct tape on it right in, in marker on it. If Penn State beats Michigan this weekend, Michigan State wins out, and Ohio State beats Michigan. I know that's a lot. But if there's a three-way tie with Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, or a four-way tie, with all four of us, Penn State being that fourth team, Michigan State has the tiebreaker and goes to Indy. Shock and awe, right? Across across the, the Big Ten country, how does that happen? It happens because of the head-to-head. MSU would be 2-1, and one, beating Penn State, Ohio State losing to Michigan. Ohio State would also be 2-1, and one, with Michigan and Penn State being 1-2, and two, but we would have the head-to-head against Ohio State. So the dream continues, Ryan Hunt. We're out of the playoff. Well, maybe we'll be the first three teams. No, never mind. But we're not out of the Big Ten yet. We still got a chance to go to Indy, which is all I want to do for Christmas. Keep praying to whatever God you are praying (laughs) to. Cross your fingers. Check those astrological signs. Uh, Maybe it's D'Antonio that has sold his soul. If if Michigan State (laughs) somehow makes its way to Indianapolis, I will be on record as saying D'Antonio has sold his soul to the devil. Uh, but you're right. It's certainly not outside the realm of possibilities. And we've seen crazier things happen, not just in sports, but most definitely in college football. Well, and full disclosure, I can't think of a funnier situation than Michigan finally beats us and we still go to the Big Ten. And gosh, if we go to the Big Ten in Indy, we ain't losing to the West. So bring home the Big Ten to Michigan State. Speaking of, we had a big change in plans with MSU beating Purdue. Mm-hmm. And Northwestern, I know they only won by 14, but it was it was never a game. They went into the halftime ahead, taking it over, and it just kind of you know went same as script there for the second half. And now Northwestern, the team that lost to, I believe, Akron, is leading the Big Ten West. They have it all in their hands. Northwestern does not have a non-conference victory. They lost to Akron. <laughs> they lost to Akron 39-34. They lost to Duke 21-7. They play Notre Dame for their third non-conference game this Saturday at home in Evanston. Hopefully, for, for my sake, a loss again. So they could eventually be the representative for the Big Ten West without having won 
any non-conference matchups. And I'm not sure if there's anyone out there that can do a little bit of research for us. Maybe we'll uh, throw you one of those uh, Miller Lights, Bud Lights, Steel Reserves if you uh, do the research for us. But I'm not sure there's ever been a team representing one of the Power Five conferences in a conference championship game that has zero non-conference victories to its name that year. I can't think of any off the top of my head. No, neither can I. I mean, that would be a first. Uh, The good news for the rest of the West is there's still, you know, plenty of time for Northwestern to screw up. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about the schedules last week of those four teams being Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue. And each of those teams at least play one another at some point. Some of them have already played, but they've still got, you know, Northwestern still has one of them on their schedule. And, and, you know, you keep going down the line, they all play each other. So things Mm -hmm. could change. Um, if it happens, you know, gosh, I'd love to have another shot at Northwestern after what we did with them. But think about this, another stat for Northwestern that's crazy, and I don't think you could ever guess it. Northwestern is 12 of 13. They've won 12 of the last 13 Big Ten games. The one they lost was the Michigan game this year where they were up 17 to nothing. Wow. So they come to play when it matters the most in in conference play, at least. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Pat Fitzgerald, who he basically he's nine and three, ten and two, maybe eight and four for a lot of years here in the last you know five to seven years. And so what you said about non conferences, apparently they figure out what's wrong, or they just don't give a rat's ass about the non conference. Because when it comes to Big Ten, they buckle down and they say, okay. You're not going to beat us. And they've done it now for for two straight years. But on a regular basis, they only lose, you know, three to four games. Right, right. They're all they're a perennial nine and three, eight and four team. Their remaining Big Ten games right now, they go at Iowa on November 10th. Then they're at home against Minnesota and Illinois to close out conference play. I still view them as the favorite right now to come out of the Big Ten West, having only one loss in conference play. Iowa certainly still on the fringe. They would need to win out and have Wisconsin pick up one additional loss, which seems likely. Wisconsin still has to play at Penn State and at Purdue. Those are going to be two tough matchups for the Badgers, especially if Alex Hornibrook uh, is still out and, and for the Badgers. So I think Northwestern, Iowa are the top two favorites, but it's the Big Ten West. It seems like that leaderboard has shuffled every single week, so... Is it going to be Purdue? Does Wisconsin still have a shot? Possibly, but I think right now Northwestern has to be the favorite coming out of that division. I don't know. If, if they go into Iowa and win, then maybe maybe you put them into the playoff. <laughs> Shoot, I'll tell you what. They beat Notre Dame and then go into Iowa and win, then maybe we do need to reevaluate how we put people in the playoff. Maybe mm-hmm. we just uh, don't worry about the first couple games of the season because, that. I mean, if you look at what Northwestern's done – they should have beat Michigan. They they blew that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, kudos to Pat, Pat Fitzgerald. He's done a great job there. Uh, but in, enough about Northwestern. I mean, we don't live in, in Chicago or Evanston, so let's forget about the Wildcats for a little bit. Let's go into we, we tried to be cute and give a little theme to our next uh, portion here of the podcast. We're going to do a little trick-or-treat. We had the CFP come out. We got some teams that are on the fringe. Obviously, we've got Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, LSU that landed in the in the top four. Uh, I would disagree with, with Notre Dame getting uh, 
the screw job over the you know the LSU spot there. But one thing I will say before we get into everything, I, I get sidetracked easily sometimes, but I think they're doing the Notre Dame four spot because they want to see a rematch of Bama Notre Dame from Monte Teo had the pretend girlfriend and things didn't go well with the with the Irish. I don't like when they do that. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is Notre Dame should be based on what they've done should be two or three or maybe even one if you look at if you're looking at resumes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're looking at strength of schedule, Alabama doesn't quite hold up to that. Who they uh, played? That, right, that benchmark. Clemson, they've had some huge victories as of late, but again, they haven't really played anybody. Yeah, I sort of get anybody. where they're coming from, uh, from the standpoint that while you know Notre Dame has a win over number five Michigan, LSU has a win over number six Georgia, but but LSU also has one loss, whereas Notre Dame is still undefeated. I was coming at it from the standpoint that ESPN wants to sit here and talk all week about number one Alabama versus number three LSU, and maybe that sounds a little bit more intriguing of a matchup as opposed to number one versus number four. Either way, yeah. you, either way you cut it, if you're a Notre Dame fan, just be happy you're in the top four right now. LSU is going to lose against Alabama this weekend. They're going to drop out of the top four. But maybe it's a situation with Notre Dame not being in a conference, not having a conference championship game, where they can't go any higher than number four unless they start absolutely dominating teams week in and week out for the remainder of the season. And, and that's yet to be seen. So if they're sitting at number four at the end of the year and they have to face number one Alabama – it is what it is. I'll do a few Hail Marys, maybe uh, uh, go to church a uh, little more often than I have been, which, w- which going raised, to church, yeah. yeah, going to church once right now would be an improvement upon uh, uh, what I have been doing recently. So um, I, I, if you're a Notre Dame fan, be happy where you're at right now in the playoff rankings. You can only move up. I don't think they'll move down outside of the top four if they went out. If they lose a game, it's done. Console the season. Cancel your trips uh, anywhere to the college football playoff if you're an Irish fan. Just win out, focus on the task ahead, and if you do that, you'll find yourself in the mix at the end of the year. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I'm not being a Notre Dame hater. I I want them to make the playoff, but I also want them to lose and not make the playoff because I want them to stop pussyfooting around and join a conference. If you want them to join a conference that bad, then you should want them to go undefeated and get left out of the playoff and have maybe like a Michigan or an Ohio State get in because they have the Big Ten Championship banner. Yeah, but they'd have to be, they have to be, what, 11 committee members or whatever that just say, I hate Notre Dame. Right. And leave, what's his face, Swarjack, or what's his name? Swarbrick. Yeah, but he's the only one that's like, guys, come on, you know, yeah. let me do this. Right, right. I just don't see that happening. So I, I don't know. I, I think they're. I definitely think they're top four. Yeah, for sure. If they lose one of these last games, they're they're actually playing good teams. Mm-hmm. Northwestern might win the Big Ten West, as we mentioned. Right. They have to go to Yankee Stadium and play Syracuse, where they have to wear the ugliest uniforms I've ever seen in my life. They've got to play USC, who already has JT Daniels back for this week, is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. So they, they've got some tough matchups. And even if they lost, I, I don't know that that should get them out of there, but it probably will. I mean, if you look at, you know, people say, well, the Power Five have a, what, 13th data point, right? Sure. Well, Notre Dame doesn't play any Hazlitt High Schools when they play, you know, they, they don't have any cupcakes on their schedule like every other team does. So basically you can take that conference championship and then take out 
you know, whatever whatever school you played for the blind in the first week, and it still is the same schedule as what Notre Dame's got. Right. They're not scheduling FCS opponents into mid-November like a lot of the SEC schools are doing. You're going to see some strange SEC versus either Sunbelt schools or FCS schools over the next few weeks. Um, and, and I've always thought that's a little bit strange. You're not seeing anybody else around the country doing it. You're certainly not seeing Notre Dame do it. So from a strength of schedule standpoint, right now I think they – they pass the test, especially when you compare their schedule to, say, an Alabama or a Clemson. But again, those two teams, or at least Alabama, they still have some tough matchups coming up. Clemson looks like they're probably going to coast through the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know what you're talking about with those little cupcakes in the middle of this, well, towards the end of the season here for the SEC. And the argument I've heard is that they haven't been penalized yet for it. So why would they change it? They've figured out the formula that works best look at the domination. And mm-hmm. the first thing I'll say is it's not the SEC domination, it's the Alabama domination. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may never change regardless of who they schedule because they're bringing in the best 18-year-olds in the country and they're going three deep at every position. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you combat that other than you just got to, you, you know, you got to give that speech and I forget it might be Little Giants. It might be another football movie. Maybe it's Remember the Titans. But, you know, 9 out of 10, you beat your brother that one time. That one time. And that's all people have to look at is they hope they catch him that one time and they can mm-hmm. take him out. Right. Right. But, you know, I, I think one thing I can tell you right now is that Bama's not going to lose. And we're going to go over time today. And I don't care. Because if we got stuff to talk about, we're going to talk about it. And everybody else, you can just pause it or not finish the podcast. I mean, it, it is up to you. Thank God we're not on an actual like radio station where we can just go a couple hours over and keep going. Right. <laughs> we're giving plenty. We're giving people plenty of time. You know, this isn't just a one day podcast. You can listen to this over the course of multiple days, multiple commutes. Hopefully, it's entertaining for you. If it goes over, it goes over. That's only to the benefit of our listeners, in my opinion. Yes, and do what I do with the ones that actually get on serious. I wait till they're done, and then I skip the commercials. Beauty of us is we don't have any commercials, Mm -hmm. so you can just stop it and start it whenever you want. That's what she said. Let's move in to the trick-or-treat. Believe it or not, that wasn't the trick-or-treat. We just kind of sidetracked there for (laughs) for 5, 10, 15 minutes. That was The first one, yeah, yeah. Well, the CFP, I mean, that's what everybody talks about. Gosh, yep. I heard today everybody talked for 12 hours about the CFP rankings. That's all they right. talked about. So obviously we can go on and on. Mm-hmm. But Michigan, trick, trick or treat, what do you think? Are they in, they out? Right now I have them as a treat. They have the number one total defense in the country. Defense wins championships. I think Don Brown, their defensive coordinator, is obviously a mastermind. How long can U of M hang on to a coordinator that's having as much success as Don Brown? Does he have any uh, any desire to go and coach at an elite level and take over a program? Is he satisfied just being the defensive coordinator of one of the top defenses year in and year out since he took over the job? I have Michigan as a treat right now, primarily because of their defense. And just to clarify, treat means we're, we're considering them a contender at this Correct. point, right? Correct. Uh, I will tell you that Don Brown can be held on to for as long as they want to, because I'm pretty sure 
and this is I'm I'm being facetious, but at the same time, I, I might be pretty close to on point when I say that the athletic department of Michigan, I think, is in just amount just the same amount of debt as Donald Trump is right now with the country debt. I think it's like twenty some million dollars in debt the Michigan Athletic Department is right now. Wow. So clearly they're they're not worried about Don Brown making two mil. Mm-hmm. But I will agree with you. Michigan's defense is just too good. I think they'd give any team they played, Bama, anybody, they'd give them fits. The only problem is they might hold Bama to 24-28 instead of 48, and I don't think Shea Patterson can score that much on a Bama team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I, I think they're legit. I hope Penn State beats them because that'll keep the dream alive for me for another couple weeks, and, you know, I would appreciate that. What about Georgia? Georgia's kind of right down the road. They're actually they're right behind Michigan at six, I believe, in the CFP. And a lot of people were, well, a lot of SEC country where they have nothing else to do but complain, said this is ridiculous that Georgia's not ahead of Michigan. Mm-hmm. The SEC is ridiculous, is what they were saying. <laughs> uh, I have Georgia as a trick. And in basketball in 2018, you can't win if you don't have a three-point game. And Georgia does not have a three-point game. And what I mean by that is they're not hitting on those long scrimmage plays. Last year, the Dogs were seventh in the nation in gains of 20-plus yards. This year, they're 38th in that category. And they won't be able to beat anybody out of the SEC West. They won't be able to compete with a Bama. They already lost to LSU. They just, they're not hitting on those big plays. And if they can't gain huge chunks of yardage and keep their offense in games, if they're going to go up, uh, you know, uh, face-to-face with some of these teams and try and grind out a win, it's just not going to happen. So I have them as a trick. Yeah, and, and we'll get into Ohio State in a second. But one of the things that I've heard all week, and again, I'm an avid listener to to the serious, you know, radio station stuff all week, and I've heard throughout every every single station is that Georgia has better wins than Michigan so far. And we don't care about better losses because who cares if you you lost, you lost. It is what it is. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Georgia lost to LSU by 100. Ohio State lost last year to Iowa by 100. And and that was the end of the world for Ohio State. Obviously, they didn't make it in. Mm -hmm. And Ohio State lost again to Purdue this year by 100. And people are already saying they're not making it in because they lost to Purdue by 100. Why is Georgia any different? And, and who have they beat just because they beat Florida? Who has Florida beaten? I haven't seen Florida do anything other than beat other SEC teams. Well, congratulations. Kentucky whooped your ass in home in the swamp by 12. So uh, it, it's the same thing as going through the Big Ten where you say, well, so-and-so beat so-and-so beat so-and-so. So A plus B plus C, you know, transitive property. That doesn't work. Look at it. Give it the eye test. Michigan, in my opinion, as much as I hate to say it, and I say this every time I say it because I want to always pick Michigan to lose, I think they'd kick Georgia's ass. I think they would kick Georgia's ass. So I say Georgia. I'm with you, Ryan. They're they're a trick on the corner. They ain't making it. We're in agreement. Let's jump, let's jump to another conference, Big 12 Sooners. We heard that clip of that freshman running back that must have taken the place there of Robbie Anderson on the highlight. What do you think about the Sooners? 
I have them right now as a treat. I don't think they're as good as a team like Michigan, Georgia, or even Ohio State, but they're playing in the Big 12. They still control their own destiny in that loss to Texas, 48-45 to in the Red River shootout. It's not a death sentence. They can certainly do enough right now to make their way into the playoff, maybe as the four seed. So I have them as a treat. Their offense is explosive. Defense in the Big 12 doesn't really matter, so that's that's not going to be an issue for them moving forward. If they can just outscore opponents the rest of the way, they can put themselves in, in a position to capitalize and find their way in the playoff. Yeah, uh, I mean, their offense is scary. Kyler Murray is, I think he's on pace to be better than uh, Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. I, I think his year so far is going to end, assuming he continues down that same road, better than Baker Mayfield. Uh, but their defense is suspect. Now, maybe with an Alabama team where you've got a defense that isn't as good for Alabama, and by isn't as good, they're still above average, but where you have to score points to keep up with them, maybe the Oklahoma is the kryptonite for Bama, but I don't know that they make it out of the Big 12 without another loss. Mm -hmm. I think that this is another year where they cannibalize themselves, and you end up with three teams that have two losses, and you know, nobody gets in. Um, and then that takes us to Ohio, Ohio State, which is a similar situation other than the losses are a little bit different. Obviously, Oklahoma's loss to Texas was by three points at the end. However, they were down by 21 before they made a fourth quarter comeback. And then Ohio State, obviously, we already talked about loss to Purdue, but they have the same brand name, the same caliber of athletes, People look at them as the same when they look at the CFP voting. Do you think that's any different in your opinion? I have them right now as a trick. Like Georgia uh, cannot capitalize on the three-point game, Ohio State can't stop the three-point game. We talked about it a little last week. Right now they're 102nd in the nation in allowing opponent plays of 40-plus yards a game, so they just don't have the defense to make critical stops at, at big stages of the game. Teams who have allowed fewer long scrimmage plays thus far this year, 40-plus yards, New Mexico, Bowling Green, UTEP, Ohio State can't get off the field. They can't uh, keep opponents from hitting on big chunk plays. I think that's ultimately going to come back and bite them at some point throughout the rest of the regular season. I have them as a trick. I don't see them getting into the playoff. Yeah, even if my dream gets squashed at 345 on Fox Saturday— where Penn State loses to Michigan, I I guarantee Michigan State's beating Ohio State in East Lansing, November 10th. I know my neighborhood's going to probably burn down my flag. They'll leave my red house standing because, you know, it's Ohio State colors. But I don't think the Buckeyes have a chance when they come to East Lansing. This whole Lombardi thing might not sound cool to anybody else, but in East, in East Lansing, it means that we got a guy regardless that can throw the ball. We got Jalen Naylor back. We're going to have Cody White back this weekend. LJ's back. We, we're getting people back, which just makes it worse for them as we go forward. So I don't think they're going to do it. Now we get to, I, I think, one of the biggest question marks. I guess the next four are question marks. We've got Washington State, West Virginia, Kentucky, and UCF. Why don't you take two of those? And I'll take the other two, and you tell me what you think. Sure. I'll take Washington State, and I have them right now as a treat. Now, before 
you uh, raise your eyebrows or draw a big question mark on the screen in front of me. They're equivalent to your least favorite candy bar. I guess it's better than no candy. But if you have a team like Washington <laughs> State in a conference like the Pac-12 where it's, it's known for prolific high-scoring offenses and your quarterback's throwing for around 400 yards a game and you only have one loss on the season, there's a lot still in front of Washington State that they control. I don't think they have a tough matchup until the Apple Cup versus Washington on Thanksgiving weekend. If they can win that. Looks win, weak. Right, exactly. <laughs> win that one against a weak Washington team. Win the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 is the weakest of the Power Five conferences, but it's not completely crazy to draw up a scenario where Washington State might make some noise. All right, so who's your other one out of those four? Uh, my second one I'll take is Kentucky. I have them as a trick. It's almost basketball season in Lexington. I think everybody down there is going to forget <laughs> about the Wildcats ever being relevant in the SEC East, SEC East, especially after this weekend when they get pummeled by Georgia. So, so when the Champions Classic plays next Tuesday and Kentucky plays Duke, will there be no more people in the stadium going into that next Saturday? Will that be the end of Kentucky football? Done. <laughs> it's you know what I, I won't spend any time on this really. I, I agree with you on both. Um it's tough to think Washington State's good enough to do playoff type things just because they haven't ever done it. And Kentucky, if you can't throw the ball more than five yards, you're never gonna win uh, enough to be in the playoff. Mm. From the West Virginia UCF standpoint. I'll start with West Virginia. I'll be quick. I think they lose another game. So I think they're a trick. Um, you know, Will Greer's a great story. And Dana Holgerson had the best defense he's ever had underneath him. They had a running game finally where it was kind of balanced a little bit. Uh, but none, none of that lived up to actually what everybody thought. It looked great against Tennessee. They never played NC State because of weather to start the season. And they beat up on some lowly Big 12 teams. And then as soon as they meet Iowa State, I know they were dressed in black, but gosh, they looked horrible. And Will Greer went from passing to not passing. They actually, they made Will Greer's offense at West Virginia look like Michigan State's broken offense against Michigan. I mean, that's how bad it was from an offensive point of view and what the defenses made those offenses look like. So I, I don't think they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, hopefully they don't take Oklahoma out in the process. Otherwise, like we've talked about, the Big 12 is done. Mm -hmm. Looking at UCF, to me, when we saw the CFP, and you and I talked about this before tonight, but they're overrated at 12. They were overrated at, I think, 9 in the AP poll or 10 in the coaches poll. That's an out-of-control ranking, and I don't care what you talk about. They went, you know, 12-0 last year and then 13-0 when they beat Auburn. Great. That was an amazing season. You had an amazing coach, maybe the most motivational guy ever in college football. But here's the thing, and these are stats, and I know we've talked about these, so I know you're in on this. UCF has beaten every team this year, obviously, but none of them currently have a winning record zero of those teams have a winning record. Not to mention their strength of schedule this year, 127. I don't know how you get that. If you took a Power 5 team and told them go get a 127-ranked schedule, they would have to drop conference games 
and go play. And I'm talking about guys that play Rutgers in Illinois. We would still have to go find other, you know, high school teams. We had to bring in Stockbridge mm-hmm. just to lower that number. How did they, Ryan, tell me, how did they get in in the top 15? It doesn't make any sense other than this is the only thing I have and I'll let you go on it. They just didn't want the backlash in this lynch mob mentality of a, of a world we have right now. Yeah, I agree. It's some, most of it I think is the allure of them going 13 and 0 last year, beating Auburn. Nobody gave them a ton of love in the playoff committee last year. So, Hey, why not rank them at say number 12? It's like they picked, they, they, uh, you know, had the bingo uh, ball rolling. They picked out a number and it was uh, B 12. And I guess, yeah, we're going to put them at 12 for this initial ranking. It's, it's undeserved. Like you said, their strength of schedule is 127 out of 130. Um, they they had to come back and beat Memphis 31 to 30 earlier this year. The, the following week, Memphis went on the road to Missouri, who is a middle of the pack SEC team at best. Has not lost. won in the SEC yet. Right, right. And they lost to Missouri 65 to 33. So the discrepancy between the upper echelons of the power five teams and the group of five teams it's too large to ignore. If UCF yeah. runs the table, they're they're not getting into the playoffs. So let's let's scratch that. Let's you know not even talk. Put that in a bottle and send it out to shore to flow. It's it's not even a question at this point. They'll get into the New Year's Six, of course, because they'll be the highest ranked Group of Five team. But to say that they would even be on the same playing field as an Alabama or Georgia or Michigan to me is insane. Well, and let's let's look at it from most of the people that I assume listen to this. And again, you know, the joke will get old, but, you know, the six of you that listen to this are Big Ten fans. So let's look at a Big Ten schedule and let's take the East, for example. If Central Florida took the place of Maryland or Indiana and had to play Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan and Ohio State, do you think they're coming out undefeated or with at least three losses? I, I'm going to bet over on yeah. that Yeah, I'd, I'd say over. 0-4 seems like a good place to start in that scenario. Yeah, so it's just it's one of those things that we wanted to talk about because you know we hear it when we look at all the college football talk throughout the week, you know, just getting to Wednesday here. But, you know, if you're a UCF fan, sorry. You, you just, your hope is that you get added to the Big 12 or to the Pac-12, or to the SEC. But at this point, it's the Big 12. They're not mm-hmm. the Big 12. They're the Big 10. You, you need to hope that they want to go to 12 teams and you get added. Right. There, there's your only shot. I think the we've got a couple other things to cover. I think we're going to keep rolling. Like you said, You know, if people want to pause us, turn us off, skip ahead, all those things are optional. Unless one of us conks out and falls asleep, we're going to keep going. Um, the other thing we wanted to talk about, I think, was dumpster fires slash teams that are are not going to be dumpster fires because this is again that's reserved for the bottom of the barrel like the teams that should just not have a football program but there's a couple other teams that are dumpster fire-esque over the last couple weeks that i think we want to touch on for starters before i hand it off to you ryan my normal dumpster fires were always kansas rutgers I wanted to see a bowl game every year at the end of the year. Let those two play. Winner maybe gets new cleats or something. I don't know what the what the trade-off is for that. But this year, 
it's Rutgers, and I'm going to let you take over because it's not Kansas anymore, is it? No, actually, we had we got to see this bowl game. It just didn't happen postseason. We got to see this earlier <laughs> in the year out in Kansas where uh, the Jayhawks took it to Rutgers to the tune of, I believe the final score, without looking it up, was something like 55 to 14. Um, now, Kansas is a football program that since 2014, 66 after 66 percent of their wins their students have rushed to the field Rutgers is the only power five team that Kansas beat where the students did not rush the field so that says many things about the state of the Rutgers football program Um, what I would also say about Rutgers as well as some breaking news coming out of New Jersey this week junior linebacker Isaiah Bullock was arrested and charged with two counts of attempted murder two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, both of which were first-degree offenses, and police searched his car. They found gloves, crushed-up Tylenol pills, and a mask. Now, I'm not a defense lawyer, but to me, that sounds like he was just taking proper precautions to cure the common cold, not commit a cold-blooded crime, and if the gloves don't fit, you must acquit. That's day one criminal law stuff. What do you say, Mr. Bruce? Well, one, I would say that most of that is a Halloween costume, given the time period. And the rest of it is the guy's got a bad headache. He plays football. Shoot. He gets hit all the time. Right. This is an easy open and shut case. The guy is innocent. But on the other hand, I would probably have the same type of things in my trunk if I played for Rutgers football, like you mentioned. But it puts Kansas, not only you mentioned they beat Rutgers. Not only did they do that, let's give them credit where credit's due. They got their first Big 12 win since 2016. They beat Number TCU one. by yep. one point. Granted, it took a lot of injuries and a lot of craziness on the field, but you know, it's been a couple years since they won a conference game, which we can't say about any other team in the Power Five. And so the crazy thing is, and the crazy about thing about Kansas right now is they have not one, not two, but three wins on the year. Uh, we're sitting in late October, early November. Kansas isn't out of the bowl discussion just yet. Most years, they are completely out of it by mid-October, late October at the latest. But, you know, can crazy things happen out in Kansas and they find a way to knock off three additional wins, make a bowl? Highly unlikely. But that's three more wins than they've had in probably the last three or four years combined. Yeah, well, and... Not to mention, they lost to Troy at the beginning of the year. So, I mean, things looked bad mm-hmm. starting out. Thank Central Michigan Chippewas for getting them on the right track because that's kind of when things turn around. Mm-hmm. I do have a replacement. It's an easy replacement. It's Bobby Petrino and Louisville mm-hmm. because the guy, as much as they loved him and they love how he does motorcycle rides with volleyball you know, coaches or whatever it was, the guy just lost to Wake Forest by like 450 at home. And Wake Forest hasn't beaten anybody, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. But Louisville has, has gotten crushed by everyone. They got crushed by Florida State, who can't beat anybody. They, you know, if you do the transitive property, which I think, I think that works for bad teams. If you're mm-hmm. a bad team, the transitive property works. So if you lose to Louisville, which they didn't, they won by like seven or something, but they lost to Clemson. 59 to 3, 59 to 7, whatever it was, doesn't matter. The point is, is Louisville probably would score negative points against Clemson. Somehow. They'd find a it's, they'd find a way. And yeah, actually speak, exactly. 
And speaking of Louisville and Florida State, I actually have Florida State as my weekly dumpster fire team, possibly the yearly dumpster fire team. They're sitting at four and four right now. Like you just mentioned, they came off a debilitating, embarrassing home loss to Clemson, 59 to 10. The team simply gave up. You had Willie Taggart talking about some internal issues during his press conferences earlier this week, saying specific players were being dealt with internally, and he promised to set a higher standard for the team. Uh, I think Willie, he has to look in the mirror a little bit. He's never been an elite coach, so I'm not quite sure what Florida State fans were expecting out of Taggart. He was 16-20 and 20 at Western Kentucky, 24-25 and 25 at South Florida, 7-5 and five at Oregon. He's 4-4 four and four at FSU. He's only had one 10-win season. That was 2016 at USF. So I think Taggart is in for a rude awakening, and so are Florida State fans. I wouldn't be surprised to see him out the door maybe at the end of next year or by the end of year three if they do give him that much time down there in Tallahassee. But for the amount of talent that Florida State recruits on an annual basis, you would think that they would be doing much better than 4-4 four and four and certainly more competitive than a 59 to 10 loss against an in-conference rival. Uh, yeah. If, 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 if next year is anywhere near what he's done this year so far, let's assume they, the best case scenario is they finish six and six. If they do it again next year, he's gone. Mm -hmm. And if he gets fired, I'm going to see if he wants to come be a financial advisor, or at least a, a guy that goes out and gets business because at least we know he can bullshit a little bit and bring people in. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the record, it's it's amazing that he moved up so fast. Mm -hmm. And he stole Harlan Barnett from Michigan State, who was an amazing cornerbacks and defensive coach for MSU. So, uh, you know, maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they won't. They've got a great QB. I think it's some growing pains from changing scheme mm -hmm. because they're changing how they do their offense and their defense. But we'll see. Like Ryan said, if, if uh, you know, next year doesn't change at all and you don't see players adapting, then that'll be it. Uh, but certainly different teams are taking spots there in the, in the dumpster fire area. One thing we wanted to cover, though, was the Pac-12 because I feel like it has just taken the deepest dive ever I've ever seen in my life from the teams that were at the top to the teams that are no longer even anywhere near the top. And yes, I'm talking about you, Oregon, or Oregon, or Oregon, and Washington. What in the hell happened to you the last two weeks? It's the Vince Lombardi quote. What the hell is going on out here? It's a fair <laughs> question for both teams. I used to write that in our blogs. I used, right. That was my title. What it's, in the hell is going on here? And I would have used that for these two. Especially for Washington and in a team that had a Heisman candidate at one point and quarterback Jake Browning in his sophomore year, he threw 43 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He was a Heisman finalist. He hasn't done much of anything in the last two years. He got benched last week in a loss against California. So things have only gone from bad to worse in Washington. And we're seeing other teams that have sort of uh, waited in the shadows over the last few years, like Utah or Washington State, all of a sudden they're finding themselves at the top of the standings in the Pac-12 conference looking to strike and, and make that that statement victory or that next level jump um, to a conference championship game. Whereas Washington and Oregon, they're going to be sitting home in early December waiting for their bowl matchup in the Music City Bowl. Gosh, you know, I wish that thing was, was for better records because I want to go there. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go there because we had a bad season. I want Nash Vegas should be a reward for going undefeated, but not making. You know, that's where UCF should want to go. Yeah, you go undefeated, you don't make the playoff, and then we make you play. You get to pick the team. Shit, pick the team. We'll let you play whoever you want. Pick an SEC squad. Pick a Big Ten school. Play whoever you want. Everybody's gonna want to go. I'll go. I'll report back. It'll be a great time. I'll wear my UCF 2017 national title shirt to the game, go to the Nash Vegas bars, listen to a little live country music. It'll be a good time. I'll see oh you there. My gosh. Yeah, if you guys need a promoter or two of them, UCF, we got you. We'll come down there. All we need are six digits and travel expenses. We're in. A couple hype men on the sidelines wearing tight T-shirts. That's right. That's right. Or no T-shirts because they already oh. ripped them off. It is. It is South Florida, so... Or Central Florida, rather. But before we get out of this, and I know we got a little, you know, we we started using our comedy there a little bit. I do want to get back to Washington's loss. And I feel bad for my brother-in-law because, again, he's an alum, loves him to death. Full disclosure, he thinks Jake Browning can't lift more than six pounds with his right arm. And I think what Ryan Hunt said is that that's true. He cannot actually do that Mm -hmm. based on how he throws the ball. But... They went in and lost to Cal, 12-10. to 10. Remember last year, Washington did the same thing when they were primed and ready to be the Pac-12 team in the playoff. They lost to Arizona State, and I believe it was 13-6. to 6. So first question is, is there something wrong with Chris Peterson and being able to pump up his team for teams that, you know, opponents that aren't good? The other question is, is how do you lose to Cal after you beat them 38-7 to last year, which you have the same team returning, basically. And then UCLA, two weeks ago, beat them 37-7. to UCLA, Ryan, you remember that team, UCLA, that had, like, one win going into that game? Mm-hmm. I certainly how do. How in the hell does that happen? It's crazy. I don't know if it's as much of a problem with Chris Peterson as it's, it's – Washington, it's the Pac-12. Yeah, it's it's the Pac-12 problem. They didn't get a playoff team in last year. Um, You know, they've gotten Oregon into the playoff in the past. That didn't work out so well. So I I think it's more of a Pac-12 problem and the level of talent that they're able to recruit as opposed to, say, the Big Ten or the SEC or, heck, even the Big 12 or the ACC. Um, So I wouldn't hang it as much on Chris Peterson as maybe just more of a lack of, of talent and maybe almost like the big 12 too. those teams out west, they cannibalize each other throughout the season. They don't have one dominant team. They might have five or six teams that are at the same level of competitiveness, but all they do is cannibalize one another. And at the end of the year, they're left outside the house looking in on the party. Yeah. Well, and the other sad thing about the pac 12 right now though, is that not only is Washington screwed the pooch, but then you've got Oregon that beat Washington. Granted, they beat them because Washington missed a field goal at the end of regulation, and then they won in overtime. But, hey, a win's a win. doesn't matter how you win. But then they go in, and this is after they escaped. Well, didn't escape the Stanford game. They go into Washington State playing for – and everybody trusts Oregon, right, because of what they've done in the past – before Chip Kelly left. So they're, they're, in your opinion, they've led him into the playoff 
with a with a weak weak non conference schedule because of Chip Kelly because of Phil Knight because of who Oregon is right. Mm-hmm. So they go into this with everything in their hands. They lose to Wash State by fourteen. Now I know that's tough. It's Pullman. It's the, the first time they've ever been there since I think forever maybe, but maybe since like you know the the eighties. And they lose a tough game. And maybe got away from them. Then they go in to Arizona. Good old someone who Ryan and I both picked to come out firing with Khalil Tate. And to start the season, they just fumbled it away for four straight games. They had a good win prior to Oregon. They, they eclipse them. 44-15. to 15. Kill them. Game over. Never a contest. And you got Justin Herbert, who's supposed to be, correct me if I'm wrong, is he not the number one quarterback coming into the next draft? That's what all the analysts are saying. That's what everybody says. I don't know what has happened to the Pac-12. I mean, it's over. They're done. If Washington State wins, they will not get over, get in over a one-loss Big 12 team, a one-loss Big 10 team. I don't think they'd get over a two-loss Alabama team. Certainly not. They, I, I don't think they should get in over a one-loss Notre Dame team. Nope. So there's two things you got to do here if you're the Pac-12. You got to schedule better in the non-conference, and then I guess you just got to play better. Right. Simple formula. Yeah. The play better part might be the hardest part. Yeah. Scheduling is the easiest. Right. They can fix that. That's a, that's a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I'll say before we move on, I do feel bad for the Pac-12, because Christian McCaffrey should have won gosh damn Heisman instead of Derrick Henry like three years ago. And I just wanted to say that because it bugs the hell out of me that an Alabama running back that runs behind 48 fridges gets the uh, Heisman. And that's Something the that we'll I'm never saying. forget in our time. Well, here's how we evaluate that. Henry at the Titans, McCaffrey at the Panthers. I'm pretty sure he's kicking his ass right now. According to my fantasy teams that I do not have Christian McCaffrey on, but I do have Derrick Henry on at least one, I can confirm. (laughs) That you've lost to the man? (laughs) Yes. Well, that's good. All right. So are we getting into picks now? Yeah, let's roll. We finally made it to the end. Let's roll through these picks. I'm ready. Well, I'll go first. I'm going to go with my team, Spartans. They're going to Maryland and... Had they lost to Purdue, I'd probably be telling you they'd lose by 400 to Maryland. But I like what I saw last week. As I mentioned, we're getting Cody White back. Uh, Lewerke, if he's good, great. But if he's not, we know we got Lombardi. And so I think everything's great there in Maryland. We own one because we went there two years ago. It was the biggest debacle ever. And we lost by, I think, 17. So I think we cover by 10 or more. Easy one for me, MSU, plus or negative two. Awesome. My first pick is going to be Georgia Southern at Louisiana Monroe. Georgia Southern, they're 7-1 and one against the spread the last eight games. Is this a letdown spot for the Eagles? They had a huge victory last week against Appalachian State that gave them... Huge! Huge victory, 34-14. to 14, Gave them the inside track on the Sun Belt Conference, at least to make it to the championship game in that conference. Um, They jumped 23 spots in my power index from number 57 to number 34 after that win. And they only have one loss on the year to Clemson in week three. 
Um, UL Monroe, they're on a two-game win streak with victories over Coastal Carolina and Texas State, who I believe are FBS teams. Um, now, UL Monroe, they're ninth out of 10 teams in the Sun Belt in total defense. The big difference here, Georgia Southern, they're plus 19 in turnover margin on the year. That's first in the country. UL Monroe, they're last in the Sun Belt in turnover margin at minus six on the season. So because Georgia Southern controls the ball and takes care of the rock, I'm going to back Georgia Southern minus seven and a half. They win this game 34 to 21. I like that. I, I think that's a good call. Not that you, you need my approval, but uh, yeah, it helps. that's good. It boosts, good it my, boosts my confidence. <laughs> yeah, I know you were waiting to see if I cared or not. I was going to pick Notre Dame at Northwestern for this next one. And I was going <gasps> to pick Northwestern because I thought, ah, it's tough to play there, blah, blah, blah. Scrap that. These two teams are the most unpredictable ever, so I'm not using that one. Agreed. The next one that I'll give you is Oklahoma at Texas Tech. Texas Tech's getting 13 and a half, and as bad as they are some days, they can still score points. They can still run up the scoreboard. I think they lose still. This is not one of my upset picks. I just think they do it in a fashion less than two touchdowns. Excellent. And they got a hot coach. I mean, I don't think he's hot, but people do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the analysis yeah you're um, right. my second game is fresno state at unlv unlv they're 25 point dogs at home fresno state they have the second best scoring defense in the nation they're only allowing 13.6 points per game unlv they're allowing around 42 points per game so their defense has been swiss cheese especially as of late um, Fresno, they're number three in the Mountain West in time of possession. They're also number one in the conference in opponent third down conversions, whereas UNLV, they are dead last in allowing opponents to move the sticks on third down about 44% of the time. And while UNLV is capable of putting points on the board, they just aren't capable of stopping opponents from doing the same. Fresno State, they're hot right now. I actually think they're the best group of five team in the country currently. I'll take uh, Fresno State minus 25 48 to 20 Bulldogs. I love that you just said that because that was like the biggest beef everybody had with the CFP is that Fresno State looks looks better mm-hmm. than UCF. And they and should they be play, ranked higher. And they play defense. UCF obviously does not. Yeah. Hey, we, we've seen this story before with any team that's won any big bowl game. Majority of the time, it's the defense that wins, not the offense. And mm-hmm. if you don't believe me, if you think I'm full of shit and you think that only applies to the Pistons in the NBA, uh, how about Bama winning, what, five or four out of the last eight years? They never scored points until they got Tua. So mm-hmm. it is defense wins championships. Yep, absolutely. My next one is we're good, we got to go to the Pac-12 because nobody, you know, nobody does what they're supposed to do. Stanford's getting 10 points at Washington. Now, I'll tell you one thing about Washington Stadium. It is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen in my life. I was out there when I went to, to visit Seattle. It's right on the actual bay there, and they bring up yachts, and you take shots on the yachts, and then you go into the game. Which Shots on yachts, would be, shots would, be on great, yachts. would be a great Lil' John song. It, it, <laughs> shots, shots, shots on yachts, 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 yachts. Yacht, nah, nah. yeah, it'd be perfect, right? It'd be the best thing ever. And that's why I don't think they can handle it at home because they'll be taking too many shots on the yachts. I think Stanford's going to cover the 10 points. I mean, that's not 
Washington just lost to Cal by two points, and Cal can't do anything. So I, I think I don't want to tell you to like bet your whole house on it, but bet your whole yacht on it. Okay. Bet your whole yacht. Bet a couple shots, or at least take a couple shots while watch while watching this game because the loser take a couple shots. If you lose your yacht, it's not my fault. Right, and and the <laughs> loser is virtually eliminated from Pac-12 North contention. I actually also have this game. I'm going to side with you. Take those points. I have no idea why this is a 10-point spread between two teams that are very equal, that that. in my opinion. So I'm going to take Stanford plus 10. I do think Washington sneaks away with a home victory, but there's no way they do it by double digits. Yeah, that is a crazy spread. I don't know what's... There, nobody's hurt. KJ Costello's not hurt. That's just a weird spread. Mm-hmm. And, and again, though, if it happens, we got to call Vegas and find out how what the hell they knew. Mm-hmm. My, where are we at? Last one here. Two more to go for me. Two more. I my next one. I sorry, I've got a, a list of six or seven. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Penn State at Michigan, and I just just because I want Penn State to win, I think they're gonna cover. And I think Excellent. that Michigan hasn't faced an offense like this so far this season. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame was good, but Notre Dame didn't have Ian Book in the lineup when they played them, and they still still scored 21 on them. Uh, since then, you can't count MSU's offense because the worky was hurt, and we didn't have anybody. So they haven't played anybody. Long story short, they have not played an offense. Trace McSorley will be the best college quarterback that never plays in the NFL. Mark my words, he's not an NFL quarterback, but he'll kill it tonight or tomorrow, excuse me, or Saturday. Whichever day we're on, he'll kill it that day and line up Michigan State for the Big Ten Championship. Excellent. I had that pick as well. I also would take Penn State with the points, but I scratched it in favor of Georgia at Kentucky. I was a little more confident in this one. Although Kentucky has the second-ranked defense in the SEC, they're allowing opponents to convert on 40% of third downs, which ranks 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC, whereas Georgia, they have the second-ranked offense in terms of third-down conversions behind only Alabama. Kentucky needs to run the ball to have success. They're 1-1 one one in games where they average less than three yards a carry. Uh, they lost at Texas A&M. Earlier in the year, they averaged 2.6 yards per carry last week against Missouri, squeaked out of Missouri with a 15 to 14 victory. They're last in the SEC in passing offense. So for uh, someone like Kirby Smart, who's a defensive mastermind, having a team like Kentucky, who's very one dimensional, easy to game plan for, force the Wildcats to throw. I think the Bulldogs get the cover here. Minus nine and a half. I'm taking Georgia 31, Kentucky 14 and Georgia takes firm control of the SEC East moving forward. Well, yeah, if they win that game, I think it's pretty much over at that point. Yep. Winner of that uh, winner and, of that game wins the SEC East. And and speaking of the Missouri Kentucky game, I don't think that until the uh penalty there at the end, the pass interference, I don't know that Kentucky ever converted a first down. Yeah. I think they were over until they got that pass interference call. That was also controversial when it happened and led to that little tight end pass that we played there on the highlights. Uh, My last one was a toss-up because I had to go between a couple. And this, again, is a hope that LSU can cover 14-and-a-half. Please tell me that Alabama isn't going to win the national championship for the fifth damn time in the last, what, nine years? Is that what it is? 
Sounds about right. I, Too I, many. I, I might have to plant evidence that they cheated just to get them out of here. This is ridiculous. I can't handle it. I need LSU to take care of it, or I'm going to go insane. It has nothing to do with Michigan State winning because I know that they're probably never going to win, but I can't stand that Alabama wins and Nick Saban left MSU. Ah, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. So you're taking Alabama? Probably. Okay. <laughs> but no, I'm hoping – no, I'm actually hoping – I think LSU will keep it under two touchdowns at home. Okay. Yeah, this I'm is the first. they win. Yep. Yep. This is the first major clash of top five teams. I also have this pick. If anybody's looking to bet the over-under on this one, which right now is at about 53 and a half, know that this is the highest total in the series since 2013 when the over-under was 55. By the way, the total pushed that year was 38 to 17 Alabama with the victory. Um, LSU, they're holding opponents to just 11.2 points per game at home this year. The one knock on Alabama this year has been their defense. Last year, they were number one in scoring defense. This year, they're number 10. Number six in passing defense last year. Number 33 in passing defense this year. Number one in rushing defense last year. Number 21 this year. The big difference, though, Alabama is scoring points, and they're scoring them easily. They're scoring them quickly, and they're scoring a lot of them. Um, although Alabama has had some struggles defensively, LSU, they're actually averaging less yards per game on offense this year compared to last season. Joe Burrow is going to have a tough matchup ahead of him. So is the entire LSU team. I think Bama walks in to Death Valley and they come away with at least a 14 and a half point victory. So I'm going to lay those points. I'm taking Alabama 35, LSU 17. If you're listening to this right now, you've realized uh, at least one important factor when we pick our teams is that Ryan Hunt picks with his brain and I pick with my heart. Somehow we both why... end up around 500. <laughs> well, that's because I never pick MSU normally. I did this week, and normally I pick them to lose. But, yeah, the Alabama game, gosh, that could go. I mean, I mean that could be a 28-point game that they win because mm-hmm. who's going to throw the ball? Joe Burrow? Mm-hmm. No, no, they, they're going to have to score a lot of points. So I, I love that pick. Either way you go on that pick, it could happen. I'm just hoping that nighttime in Death Valley means that it's a little bit tougher to get going for Tua, a little bit tougher for the offense to get going. And so that makes it where maybe they have to overcome a 10-point lead and they only win by 11 because it's, you know, 31 to 20 at the end of the game. Right. Tua still has not played in the fourth quarter yet this year. I'm certain that he'll probably play into the fourth quarter. This game, this could be Alabama's, this is Alabama's first big test of the season. So maybe that catches them a little off guard, especially early on in the game. But I do think their talent, their coaching, uh, it will certainly overcome anything that LSU will throw at them the first couple of quarters. And that's that's why I'm taking Alabama. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the, you can go either way on that one. Sure. It doesn't matter which way you go. One of the things that I'd like to do and kind of give to the group here in case you did not hear it before we leave, well, one is my upset picks in case anybody cares. And again, pick what you want. But if I looked at potential upsets this week, I would look at Colorado over Zona, Pitt over Virginia, I'll take Texas A&M over Auburn again, even though they screwed me against MSU, the other MSU last week. West V over Texas, K-State over TCU, and Duke over Miami. So we'll throw those on the website, but those were the ones that I thought that, you know, if you're going to bet 
and try to get some extra money that maybe parlay a couple of those and, and see what happens. But the other thing I want to talk about is if you watch the Oklahoma State Texas game, there's a little skirmish at the end. And if Mike Gundy isn't the funniest damn person I've ever seen in my life, I don't know who is. Ryan Hunt, tell us at least right now what his most famous quote is. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> exactly. He came with that one when you were trying to call out his quarterback. And that was, gosh, that's 10 years ago now, I believe. 10 or 11 He's 50 years now, ago. I, believe. I think he just turned 50 this year. But they asked him. <laughs> it's, I'm laughing because it's so funny. They asked him about Twitter, and this is what the dude said. Criticism where? From where? Noise. From where? Twitter, radio. Yeah, no, I give a rat's ass about Twitter. <laughs> it's a platform for people that are sitting home trolling an unemployment check, sitting in front of a keyboard. <laughs> so, not only did he do two fart noises, but... I mean, the guy delivers it the best you can ask for, right? Oh, yeah. He's certainly one. His I'm a man, I'm 40. People will be reciting that for the next 50 plus years, and he'll just continue to give us great uh, audio clips to play season in, season out. It's uh, he's he's one of those coaches that every time he's speaking, you have to have a microphone on him. Well, and he's got a mullet and not to mention. So after that comment. The the skirmish that happened was because a linebacker had rushed through on a kneel down, mm-hmm. and he ran into the quarterback, and the quarterback is Taylor Cornelius. So they asked him about that after the game, and he said, they said, Taylor Cornelius, how did he react to that? And he didn't call him by his name because at Oklahoma State, he has a nickname for him, and his name's Corndog. And I could not find the audio, <laughs> but the quote was, Corn dog's the coolest guy I know, and he acted like he normally does and didn't care about nothing. So uh, I might send my kid to Oklahoma State if he's ever good at football to play with Mike Gundy because that guy's amazing. And he'll walk away with uh, hopefully a degree from Oklahoma State University and a nickname as as creative as Corn Dog, <laughs> as potentially Corn Dog. Yeah. So gosh, yeah, what a good guy. So I think we've taken you guys over 62 hours now. Maybe you've been up for two days listening to us. But I think we're finally ready to sign off. Is that right, Ryan? Corn dog out. Yeah, we had to go. It was Halloween, so we had to go late night. Yeah, late night. We were up late passing out candy to kids. Had to get on the pod, get this audio in so that we could cut it a little bit, deliver it to the people. It'll be in your, uh, in your radio, in your speakers here shortly. Give us a little time. Let us uh, munch on a little more candy. We'll be good to go. Yeah, and I realized I should have cut out when you said corn dog out because that was the perfect way to end the podcast. I apologize. <laughs> I'll probably cut all this out and make sure that happens. But uh, as normal, it's Hunt with Bruce out. Peace. Hey. Corn dog out. Corn dog. <laughs> Are lurking in the dark